Welcome to the Columbia Church Sermon Podcast. We're so excited to share this weekend's message with you from Dr. Jim Bauckham, our senior pastor. We hope it encourages you, inspires you, and helps you grow in your faith as a whole life disciple. Enjoy the message. This has been a rather unique series, I think you'll have to say, where I'm actually asking you to come to your senses. I'm encouraging you to become more aware of what you're sensing in the world around us because that's what God's designed you to do, not only so that you might become more in touch with what's going on or more in touch with yourself, but so you might become more in touch with the incarnation of what it meant that Jesus actually occupied those same senses and that Jesus was tangible to others, that He could be sensed in every single way as we can that Jesus showed us what it means to be fully human. Now, I've talked about different senses along the way and taken a couple of liberties. I mean, to ask you to sing, Do You Smell What I Smell, was a bit of a reach. And, and today's isn't exactly in the song either, but it should be. Now, there's one that I'm going to avoid. I'm not going to teach about this one, but I'll talk about it briefly because if there's one thing I'm positive that most people in my congregation are going to do this year, it's taste. Am I right? So you've already been tasting a lot, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I feel like I'm eating every time I turn around. I'm at somebody's table, I'm at some celebration, I'm at some party or whatever, and, and you know, I might walk in with an intent to be careful, but then everything that's there is so good. It's, it's so delectable. So we see lots of tables that look like this. Now, what is your favorite food of Christmas? Tell your neighbor, tell your neighbor what your favorite could. You have to have a favorite. Don't say, I like them all. What is your favorite? Who said eggnog? Anybody? Eggnog is my favorite. I love eggnog. I, I, I don't know why people don't like it anymore. It used to be there were lots of restaurants that had eggnog milkshakes. This year, the only one I could find is Potbelly, but I have had a Potbelly eggnog milkshake. Walked into a Potbelly just to get that milkshake. I love eggnog. There are lots of flavors of this season that are unique, but, you know, there's something about eating that you probably don't think about, and that is what chefs and culinary experts call mouthfeel. Are you familiar with the notion or the idea of mouthfeel? It's not just how the food smells. It's not just how it tastes. It's that it feels right in your mouth. There's something pleasant about it, whether it's crunchy or chewy or whatever it is. In fact, if you don't like the mouthfeel of something, you might not like that no matter what. Just as I was preparing this sermon, my father-in-law told me he hated tofu in any shape or form, would not eat it. I said to him, you know what? If you have tofu that's fixed right, it takes on so many different flavors. I think you'd like it. He goes, there's no way. He goes, it's not the flavor. It's what it feels like in my mouth. So, may don't make my father-in-law any tofu. He won't eat it. There's some things you just don't like the way that they feel in your mouth. And I want to focus on feeling. Now, I don't mean your deep emotional feelings, though they're important. I don't mean your sense of things. I mean actual, tangible touch. So in asking you to come to your senses this Christmas, I'd like you to become a little more aware of what you touch. You may say, well, wait a second, Pastor, I, I'm pretty aware of what I'm touching, but unless you're intentionally touching it, I ask you, are you really? So, for example, every time you walk, there's a sensation that's moving through the bottom of your feet. 
Believe it or not, if you lose that sensation, though you may have total muscle control, you will lose an ability to walk. It is impossible to walk unless you can feel the balance constantly that you're seeking as you move forward. Did you know that? You're feeling that all the time. In fact, you're feeling so much that you're not aware of. This is so intrinsic, so taken for granted that you don't even think about it. But the largest organ that you have is your skin. Every millimeter of it is able to sense what is happening around you. I mean, how amazing is that? Look, all the senses are incredible. So sight is amazing. But we know sight works with two eyes and one part of the brain that that processes what you're sensing. You have to learn to see. So as a baby, you can't even understand what you're seeing. And hearing, it's remarkable. I mean, losing hearing is a horrible thing, I think all of us will say. And at the end of the day, hearing matters, and we love what we hear. I mean, when I come to worship, I love hearing. The sounds of worship, the songs of worship, it's pretty simple. It's, it's your two ears, and then it's the part of the brain that processes what you're hearing. And if that works right, then you'll, you'll hear. Those are amazing things. Taste is incredible, but it's, it's all about your tongue and about your nose and about your capacity to to smell as well as to taste. All those things are incredible. But when you think about touch, you're not talking about one small part of your body that accomplishes this function or one piece of your brain. You're talking about your entire body all the time internally as well as externally. You are feeling constantly. And maybe that's why this Sense is so taken for granted. Now, just to become more aware of it for a moment, you're sitting on a pew. You're completely unconscious that you are, maybe, although I've started to decide pews are pretty uncomfortable. I can't wait for the new seats in the new worship center personally. But as you sit on that pew, you don't sit there and think, I'm sitting on something and I'm thinking about what I'm feeling through a particular part of my anatomy. But if you'll take your hands right now and just put them on the top of the pew, run them across it and, and feel it, what do you feel? The texture of the pad? Something solid and firm and dependable? It has a temperature. It has a, a sense. It's the piece of gum someone there left there last week. You are aware of all sorts of things that you just don't really think about. Now, now, now touch, touch something in front of you, a, a book or a pen or the pew that's in front of you or something. Touch the wood. Touch something and feel it with your hand and, and just think, I've been feeling this since the moment I stepped into this room and yet been completely unaware that I was. That smooth wood, maybe, or that piece of paper you're touching, or, or whatever. Touch someone around you. If you're sitting at a distance, move. Move, Clarence Dukes, to somewhere where you can put a hand on somebody's shoulder. Put a hand on somebody's hand. Put a hand on somebody's head. Put a hand on somebody. What do you feel? What is it like... <clears throat> to actually touch another human being. And, of course, some of you are cheating because it's just your wife or your kid. <laughs> what, is, what does that feel like? How do we become so unconscious of touch? So out of touch, if you will. 
It's kind of strange that this would happen. There's one researcher that I really got into researching this sermon series, the papers that she wrote. She's a researcher at the University of Miami, and what intrigued me about her is that she started within the School of Psychology there, also working with the School of Sociology. She started a whole center that is about nothing but touch, the center for touch. I'd never heard of such a thing, so I'm intrigued. She began her research at all times in 2018. She started with a theory, and the theory was that what she was noticing, the disjointedness of the culture, how people were angry with each other all the time, all of the animosity, she, she sensed, if you will, that this might have something to do with the lack of touch that was occurring in the culture. And so she tested her theory. The first place that she went to do her research was Miami-Dade County Airport, which many of you have flown in and out of. It's one of the most beautiful airports in this country. She went there and she, she sat for days and observed and watched. She wanted to see what kind of touch she would notice. Now, she expected to see a number of things. She thought she'd see lovers traveling together who were touching one another in some way, shape, or form, maybe holding hands, whatever. She expected to see fathers and, and daughters. She expected to see mothers and sons. She thought she'd see all sorts of touch going on as people were traveling together. And so the first thing that took her by surprise is that these people who were already connected in some way almost never touched each other in the airport. After I read this, I was in an airport, and she's right. There's a posture we assume in an airport. You know what I mean? We get in our seats, we take out our devices, and we, we do whatever we do. Nobody was touching each other, not even people connected. But she said if that was amazing, what was more so is that she could count on one hand in a given hour at an airport the number of times that anyone who didn't know other people touched anyone at all whether they were serving another person food or receiving food, whether they were sitting around somebody or, or, or checking in or walking to the plane or, or the people they were sitting near, though you can't help with the armrest touching something, they just didn't touch. She said that her theory was not only confirmed but magnified by everything she observed. So she started choosing other venues and checking them. She saw the same thing again in what she said in 2018. Now think about when this was. In 2018 was something has been lost in this culture. People no longer touch each other in any way, shape, or form. She said this is what they touch, their devices. Everyone was on their devices, tapping away. And she said so they think they're in touch but they're more out of touch than ever. Now, think about that and the laboratory that emerged very soon thereafter. Along came the pandemic. This researcher is the one who coined the phrase touch starvation. Now, we've talked about touch deprivation for years, and she knew all of that research. So, years and years of research have been done about touch deprivation. What happens if children are not touched while they're growing and developing? What happens if babies are not touched even in the first couple of hours of their life? What happens if human beings are not touched? They literally die, by the way. They do not 
just not develop. They literally die. People die from not being touched. Did you know that? I mean, this research is profound. Levels of cortisol go up. Levels of disease go up. All sorts of strange things happen to human beings when they're not touched and they're not touching. She knew all that research. But when the pandemic hit, she said, now people are starved for touch. Now, I know what she's talking about. You know, when the pandemic first started, I thought Zoom was pretty cool. I thought, man, these meetings, why do we ever even need to travel anywhere anymore? I mean, you know, we, just, we, just, we don't have to get on a plane. We don't, have to, we don't even have to come to the church. I can get my staff together over Zoom. By the time the pandemic finished, if I never saw another Zoom screen as long as I lived, I'd be just fine. Are you cool with that? Do you understand what I mean? You can't sense what's going on in the room. My intuition is completely worthless on Zoom. I can't feel what's happening with people. I can't see certain facial expressions. I can't see what they're doing with their hands or their feet. I can't see their movements. And I can't feel them. I can't sense their presence because something happens when people are in proximity. I'm just going to tell you, for those of you who've decided that watching worship is good enough for you, you don't know what you're missing. You're touch-deprived. You're touch starved and you don't even know it. So I can show that table full of food. I'm not worried about you starving to death at Christmas. Most of you are clearly not starving to death, and I'm clearly not either. But how many of you and how many of us and how many of those around us might be touch starved, might be experiencing a serious, significant loss of something that is intrinsic? to human nature and what it is to being human, you may say, well, no, I don't know. Let me show you biblically this is true. Now, let's back up the bus for a second and talk about the incarnation because the point is here, Jesus could be touched and he could touch, right? I mean, that's pretty amazing to say. It wasn't just an apparition who could be seen, that'd be cool. Wasn't just an apparition who could be heard, that'd be cool. Jesus could be touched and he did touch people and was touched by people all the time. We don't imagine Jesus embracing people, but it's in the Bible over and over and over again. I mean, Jesus touched human beings and was touched by human beings, and that's what it is to be human. So Paul says in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We focus usually on the last part of that passage. What it means that Jesus emptied himself, there's actually a theological understanding of that. What it means that he took on the form of a bondservant and died. But what we miss is what made that possible. And that was the incarnation. Jesus being fully human. Jesus being the quintessential human being, not superhuman. No, no, no. It's not that Jesus is superhuman. It's that sin and shame render humanity, us, subhuman. Jesus is the fully human. So Paul says this at the beginning. He existed in the form of God. But what you missed there is his translation of a Greek word, morphe, which means physical form. It means tangible form. So morphe means essential form or discernible essence, which is to say that when Jesus walked and talked on earth, people could 
could sense him in every way that you can be sensed right now. They could smell him. They could taste him if they kissed him. Kissed him. They could touch him. They could, they could hear him. They could see him. And he could see them. John tries to deal with this in his story of the incarnation at the beginning of his gospel. In chapter 1, he says, the Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. And we've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. He concludes that thought by saying, no one's ever seen God. But the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known to us. And the word translated known here is tangible, sensible, feelable, experienceable. Jesus could be known and therefore God could be known. In Colossians, Paul says, chapter 1, the Son is the image of the invisible God. We love that part of the story. And again, he's capturing this, this physical presence of God, but then he says he's also the firstborn over all creation, which means we as his younger siblings, we as his offspring, we now are restoring and recovering what it means to be fully human, which means to fully incarnate the presence of God. It means to be created in the image of God. What did God really mean for us to be? That's the question that we're asking. Last week, I introduced the ideas of Athanasius of Alexandria to you who settled the Trinity more responsible than any other for the Nicene Creed, 325. His book, most famous book, The Incarnation of the Word, says, He became what we are that we might become what He is. This is one of the greatest gifts we were ever given from the African continent, the Trinity. This part of the church, the most ancient part of the church, and Athanasius, what a remarkable statement for him to say. He became what we are. Why? So that we might become what he is. What does it mean to be human? I could say fully. I could say abundantly. What does it mean to be fully human? If we're going to occupy bodies for eternity, and we are, what does it mean to learn to live the presence of God in the body right now, this laboratory that we live in. Paul says we are being transformed into the Lord's image with ever-increasing glory, and that's what the Holy Spirit, the sixth sense, is making possible for us. So today, and I'd have you sing it again, but I mean, I did that last week, so you know, it's not, it's not just do you hear what I hear and stuff like that. It's also last week, you liked it, didn't you? Do you smell what I smell? So fun, right? And now I want to ask you, do you feel what I feel? Do you touch what I touch? Do you sense what I sense? Now, I'm going to guess that you would tell me, when I say, do you feel what I feel, you'll say, okay, now, Jim, you really were creative in finding smell in the Christmas story, right? frankincense and myrrh. It's right there. I mean, and it's all the smells that are not even written about, but you know we're there. And, and, and the sight one was easy. Hearing that's pretty easy, but where in the world do you get feeling in the Christmas story? And this is the beauty of this one. I kind of missed it until I looked. 
So in Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, perhaps the most famous rendition of the birth narrative there is. We've all heard it 10,000 times, but I missed a little piece, sort of a feeling of this one, if you will. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the lineage of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Do you remember, do you remember the experience if, if God granted you children of that firstborn child? Because I sure do. The moment Marley came into the world, I, I, can, never for, I can never forget that moment. And she, she, her temperature was low. I think it still is. But her temperature was low. And so they took her away for a little while, and they finally brought her to her mother, and Debbie just instinctively grabbed her and began to nurse her. I mean, there's something instinctive about the need to touch this baby. Am I right? Moms and dads? No? Grandparents? I'm not there yet, so you tell me. When I get there, I'll let you know. Look what she did. She wrapped him in cloths, and she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, here's the problem. As I read theologically too often, it's, a, it's, it's probably the curse of being seminary trained and college trained. You know, I get it in my brain. What does this mean symbolically? What's Luke want us to know? So, these swaddling clothes, what are they? Well, of course, they teach us that God gave a sign to the shepherds. You'll find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. So, it's a, it's a sign. And secondly, I, I would say, well, what we have here is a sign that this is a normal baby. So, the incarnation is fully pleasant there because Jesus is cold. He needs to be wrapped in swaddling cloths. And then the third thing I would say, and any good theologian will tell you this, is that the swaddling clothes are a precursor or a sign of the shroud he'll someday wear. So, it's the presence of death right there in his infancy. But what I will have missed is the picture of a mother cuddling her child and carefully wrapping him in clothes and placing him in a manger and rubbing his head because that's what moms do with their newborn babies. Touching him. Carefully loving him. You know the point of swaddling cloth? Maybe you haven't studied this. I hadn't really in great detail, but the point of swaddling cloth is not just to keep the body warm. It is also to remind the child of how they felt in their mother's womb, to comfort them. And she who had carried this baby and felt him kick, remember? And he'd felt the experience of being in the womb. She lovingly nurtures and wraps him, and he is touched in the first moments of his life, which shapes his identity as a human being. Do you feel what I feel? Do you note how many times people touched Jesus or were touched by Jesus in the Scripture? Now, the logical thing to think here is about the healings, right? Isn't that what you think? 
Because immediately I go, yeah, well, okay, Jesus healed people. I didn't realize how many. There are almost 25 instances, individual instances where Jesus touches someone to heal them. Now, that's kind of remarkable because Jesus didn't need to touch them to heal them. You ask me how I know because he didn't touch somebody every single time. There is the story of the centurion who came to Jesus, remember? And Jesus says, go back home. When you get there, everything's going to be cool because your faith has made your child well, has made this child well. So, so the centurion's child, does, that child in his home does not get touched. So it is possible for Jesus just to say the word and it be done. And he doesn't even have a mobile phone. It's possible for him to just tweet it out and it'll be done. But, but in each of these instances, he touches people. So he touches somebody's eyes and he heals them. He touches their ears and they can hear again. He touches a man's tongue. Can you imagine? A man who can't speak is able to speak again because Jesus reaches into his mouth and touches his tongue. He touches a leper. No one touched lepers. Jesus did and healed him with his touch. I think this feels foreign to us in our culture. We have become so touchless. Anything we can do without touch, the more the better. We've become so touchless. So this is really, we're germaphobes. We're scared to death that somebody's going to hurt us. And so, I don't know, we're, we're scared of everybody. So as a result of that, this whole matter of touch, it, it just is really foreign. You should go with me at some point, although I can't get in anymore. They won't let me in anymore to India. And one of the reasons is because of the story I'm about to tell you. But in India, it's a totally different deal. First of all, India is an assault on the senses, man. From the moment you step off the plane, you're, what you smell, what you taste, what you see, the vivid colors, the vivid smell, the whole place is an assault on the senses. But it's also an assault on the senses relative to people being around you because people are touching you all the time, constantly. And if you ever get the chance to do this, which I did, I went in the, pre the countryside and I was preaching the gospel, and I wasn't prepared for what happened when I finished. There were thousands upon thousands of people there. And when we finished, a lot of them swarmed the stage. And I didn't know what to do. And the pastor I was with said to me, Reach down and touch them. And what? Touch them. Touch them. Now, now, coming from the culture I'm in, a lot of these people were really sick. I mean, some of them deathly ill. I, I paused for a moment and I said, all of them? He said, reach down and touch them. He said, Jesus touched the leper. You can touch these people. It was foreign to me. If you did this at the end of the service, it would be foreign to me. I got down on my knees and leaned over the stage. Debbie was there. It was an remarkable experience. And for hours, I just touched the heads of human beings and prayed over them. And when we finished, this man said, these people really believe they can be healed by a holy touch. And I said, that's… And he said, don't you believe that? Now, I was caught because the Bible says it's possible. Are you aware of that? Call the elders, have them lay hands on. 
It's in the Bible, and if it's in the Bible, I believe it. Then why don't we practice it? Why don't we think about the power of holy touch? Jesus touched the people he healed. Look, this is so much so that there are these general references to all the people Jesus healed. And they also include touch. They don't just say Jesus healed a bunch of people. Jesus touched a bunch of people and healed them. Or how about these two? I love these two. Wherever Jesus went, Mark says, chapter 6, into villages, towns, countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. What an amazing thing to say. If they could just get a hold of him, they could be healed. But why was it even necessary to touch him? What is it about the holy touch? In Luke chapter 6, 19, Luke tells us something similar. The people all tried to touch Jesus because power was coming from him and healing them all. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it even more incredible to now think of the story of the woman who was dying of a flow of blood, remember? And she says if she can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment… She knows she'll be healed, and so she sneaks up behind him. She touches his garment, and Jesus whips around and looks at her and says, who touched me? Because I felt the power flow out of me. Now, you may say, well, that's superhuman stuff right there, but is it really? If Jesus is the fully human, I'll grant you he's fully God, but is it possible that when we are incarnating God in the way we were intended, power actually flows from the touch. Now, you'd be caused to believe it if you read enough research. You know what happens when you touch somebody? Their cortisol drops, their blood pressure drops, their heart rate normalizes. There are physical, physiological responses that people have to human touch. And in fact, there actually is scientifically provable a power that flows out of one human being and into another. This is how God designed us in His image. Besides the healings, there's more. So do you feel what I feel? In Luke chapter 18, there's this other story, and it's recorded in all the synoptics. I just like the way Luke tells it. He says, people were all bringing babies to Jesus. Now, that's cool. People are all bringing babies to Jesus, but why? So that Jesus could do what? Place His hands on them so that Jesus could actually touch them. The disciples wanted none of this. They're like rebuking Him and the people who were coming. Jesus, why waste your time touching all these babies? You know they said other things too. Some of them might be sick. They need to be changed. They'll throw up on you, whatever. I mean, why are you touching all these babies? Jesus says, would you stop? Let the children come to me. Because such as these are the kingdom of God. And we theologize that. But what Jesus is saying is, look, these are, these are children created in the image of God. And this is what the, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is humanity. And it has to be touched. It must be touched. Do you feel what I feel? There's this awesome story I didn't even think of until I was researching this in Matthew 17. I love the story. It's the story of the transfiguration, which is an incredible story because as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, it's the only New Testament account where human beings on this side of the grave we're able to look over the veil and see eternity. Because see, Elijah and Moses, they, they had passed away from earth, but they saw them 
right before them as though they, and in fact, one of them said, hey, let me stop and make some tents for you guys so we can stay here a while, some tabernacles for you so we can stay here a while. They were visibly there. And then God calls out from heaven because Jesus becomes radiant before them. He shines this, this foresight of the risen Lord before them. And, and there as he's radiant before them, a voice comes from heaven just like it as it had at the baptism and says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when, he, when, they, when, when God says that, the disciples are terrified. They've never seen a spectacle like this. And so they fall on their faces as dead. They're terrified. And it says, but Jesus came and touched them and said, get up and don't be afraid. Now, I think in the past, here's how I would have seen that. Like you're poking somebody, hey, 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 get up. How many hands does Jesus have? Easy question. Two. How many of these apostles were there? Peter, James, John, three. That means that he had to very consciously touch each of them. Am I right? It's not like you can touch him too, say, hey, hey, hey. He's going, get up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Touching you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do you know why he did that? Because if you don't, you're not human. Could you please tell me? Is there a single one of you that has not had a moment in your life where you were afraid of what was ahead? You lost something so dear to you, so near to you that you didn't know how life could go on. And somebody who loved you took you in their arms and embraced you not for a second and not for 10 and not for 20, but until you were done. And they just kept saying, I love you, which is the same as saying, don't be afraid. Touch is powerful. It is powerful. Do you feel what I feel? In John chapter 20, there is this famous story that I've preached on Easter, every preacher has, about Thomas, doubting Thomas. And the way we like to preach it is that, you know, Thomas, once he understood, he understood, but we miss the power of touch in this. See, Thomas, also called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, and so the other apostles told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, look, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger, put my finger where the nails are and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen except by the sixth sense of the Holy Spirit, and yet have believed. And this is the way a lot of preachers preach this. I'm just going to tell you I think it's wrong. So I got my opinion. So they say, now, Thomas didn't actually need to touch Jesus. He could have, but he, he didn't, because John doesn't tell us that he actually touched him. 
So at the end of the day, he didn't need to do that. His doubt went away just because Jesus said to him, peace be with you. Baloney, baloney. Would you please take a look again the way this reads? Jesus doesn't say, do you want to put your finger in my hands? He says, here, give me your hand. Put your finger here. Put your finger here. See, Thomas is putting his hand into Jesus' hands, I believe, as this is happening. Do you you see? He takes his hand and he says, here, come here, touch my side. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus is bodily risen. He's reincarnated, though not in the way other religions believe it, you see. He's bodily there in the same way that you will be bodily resurrected, in the same way that you will occupy a body forever. I hope mine's better than the one I have now. But you will be in a body forever. This is very clear. You're going to occupy one in heaven, a spiritual body, and then when you are resurrected, you will occupy in the new heaven and the new earth a body. You will feel You will touch, you will taste, you will smell, you will hear. I believe all of those senses will be intact. You will be fully human in every way that God originally intended in the Garden of Eden, in the first creation. Jesus here is bodily resurrected. He can't just be seen. That would be an apparition. He can be felt. He can be touched. Do you feel what I feel? Why should this surprise us? In Genesis chapter 2, we find out how we were created. Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. With his hands, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a nephesh, a, a living being. And so the Lord God caused the man to follow into deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. Now, you've taught you this before. It's actually the man's side, Sela. He takes the man's side, and he closes up the flesh. And then he, he takes that side, and he makes it into woman. Again, it's surgery with your hands. You say, well, that could be metaphorical. It could be. So, do you feel what I feel? Is it metaphorical? Because if it is, then why does God Himself say through the prophet Isaiah, it is I who made the earth and created mankind. My own hand stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry host. Can't you just picture it? It's handiwork. The Bible says we are God's handiwork. The Bible tells us He knit us together in our mother's wombs. That's a work of art, an act of the hands. How crucial is touch to what it means to be in the image of God? My friends, do you feel what I feel? To be human is to incarnate God's presence. Is it right that not only some researcher from Miami, but you and I can instinctively tell Human beings have fallen out of touch in this culture. We don't touch each other anymore. It's gotten weird. Just in my 30 years of pastoring, I guess 40, 40 years of past, 40 years of pastoring. It started when I was 19. So just in my 40 years of being on a church staff, it's changed. Now we're all afraid of touch. 
Is it possible that what we've done is instead of having appropriate ways to really touch each other, now we've come to associate all trust with some sort of sexual expression, so we've pushed it underground. So when people don't know how to behave rightly, to touch rightly, too many people touch wrongly. I think that's quite possible, my friends. How many affairs are born of starvation for touch? How many wrong relationships, wrong whatever, are born of that when we, we've forgotten how to really reach out and touch each other? Isn't it amazing that that famous commercial, run till 1971, said reach out and touch someone was from a telephone company? You can't touch someone over a telephone. You can hear them. You can say you love them. But is there any substitute for touching a human being and being touched? I would suggest not. You may say, what do we do with this? Well, Paul was really clear five different times. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I think there's Thessalonians, I believe. Five separate occasions, the apostle Paul says, when you come together, would you tell me what he says? Greet each other with a sloppy kiss. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Try that one. But let me tell you something, friends. Travel to other parts of the world, and good luck getting used to it. First time I ever went to Russia, I thought my face would fall off. I got kissed so many times. <laughs> Greet each other, he says, with a holy kiss. Peter repeats that in his letter, but he calls it the kiss of love. Greet each other with the kiss of agape, the kiss of love. How do we greet each other anymore? You know me. I, I love I love to touch people. I do. I'm a huge hugger. It can get awkward. You know, guys, we got that code. If guys hug, just so you women know, it's tap, tap, release, okay? <laughs> you hug it, tap, tap, release. Sometimes you get a guy, you know, you tap, tap, he don't release. You get a tap, tap, he doesn't release. Uh, I heard one guy this past summer, and he said, yeah, you know, I got that guy. He had tapped out three times, and he wouldn't release. And I finally said, hey, dude, I tapped out. So, you know, there's a… But nonetheless, I used to hug everyone. And then I started getting careful. It wasn't COVID. It was before that. I actually had a couple of staff members say, hey, you be careful, you know, because people misinterpret this anymore. And so, I'll just be really honest with you. If I don't know you, I'm, I'm kind of careful. used to hug guests visitors. Not too many weeks ago, I was standing back here, and somebody in our church walked up to us, and I, I didn't initiate a hug with them because I was, I was being careful. And this is a woman in our church, and she said to me, hey, where's my hug? I need it, she said to me. My grandmother moved to Culpeper to the retirement community there when she was 87 years old. She lived 10 years there. She'd lost my grandfather years before. She lived without him for 30 years. He died when he was 67. She loved my grandfather. Man, they had a great relationship. He was a pastor too. I think I reminded her a lot of, of him, stylistically, personality-wise. And he pastored in this area, planted a church in D.C., pastored in Maryland. When I came here, she was so proud that I was at Columbia. She knew Columbia. 
And we used to go there once a year. Our choir would go to Culpeper, and we would sing for them in the Christmas season. Now, I wouldn't sing. I'd say a little word, but they'd sing. And so I called her and said, Grandmother, we're coming. She goes, I know I can't wait. I've got all my friends coming. They're all going to be there. I can't wait. I, she's good. I'm going to have that room packed out. She did, too. We get down there, and she said, Now, listen, you sit with me. I said, Okay. We go down. We sit on the front row. All my people are up here singing, other members sitting behind me. And my grandmother takes my hand. And holds it like a lover, puts it in her lap, and she held it for the entire performance. Now listen, I got used to it after we'd been a couple of times, but I was the brand new pastor here, and I suddenly go, I'm like a six-year-old kid here. I felt really self-conscious. You know how when you're with your family, you're somebody different? You know what I'm talking about, right? With your mama, you're always six. So anyway, with my grandmama, I was always six. She was holding my hand. She's smiling, beaming. That was her personality squeezing my hand. It was sweaty, squeezing my hand. At the end of the concert, the first time we were there, it's about a 45, 50-minute concert, finished the concert. Some of you might remember this. And she turned to me and she said, Honey, this is what I miss most. And she didn't even have to explain what she was talking about. She just needed to be touched. Human beings need to be touched. And they need to touch. And there's a holy way for this to be captured. In the image of God, in the image of Christ, there's a holy way for us to greet each other. So I'm asking you this Christmas, as I encourage you to come to your senses, who do you need to touch? And who of you needs to be touched to reach out and say, I need it. I need to be embraced by another human being created in the image of God because something happens in that relationship. Is there something that has been lost? I think so. I think so. I think we have become a, to a culture totally out of touch. You can't touch someone on Facebook. Trust me on this, you can't even change their mind. You can't touch someone on Instagram. You can't touch someone on TikTok. You can't touch someone on the telephone. You can't touch someone with a text. There's only one way to be in touch with other people, and that is to actually touch them. Jesus did. Can you? So, Father, help us to come to our senses this Christmas and recover what it really means to be human together, in touch. And, Lord, could it be that you need your church to become in touch so that we can model for the world around us what relationship really looks like? Relationship is not some exchange of ideas, some attempt to change each other's mind. It is something that happens to the heart when we touch each other, spell each other, hear each other, really see each other. And Lord, we thank you that you modeled for us what this looks like when you became flesh and blood in the person of Jesus. Thank you that Jesus couldn't just be seen and heard. He touched people and was touched by people. And thank you, Lord, that when you raised him from death, you raised him bodily to show us that we will be in touch with you and with each other forever. 
Now, Lord, may your Holy Spirit fall upon us so that when we reach out and touch each other, your power will flow through us, in us, and around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to release you as I always do, and I'm going to release you so that you can embrace one another. Do this in the way that's comfortable for you, a hand on a shoulder, a nice firm handshake, or how about try it, Scott, a hug. You go ignite passion for Jesus Christ from Metro Washington to the world. Together, we are all new, all in, and all out. Have a blessed week. See you Christmas Eve. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Metro D.C. area, we would love to worship with you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about all the incredible things happening at Columbia, go to ColumbiaBaptist.org. That's ColumbiaBaptist.org.